Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. Thanks so much, folks, for joining us for yet another Healthcare Executive Podcast. And uh, the episode title today, uh, very current, uh, COVID-19, Applying Leadership in a Crisis. So we we really want to get into this quickly, and we have a great guest, the perfect guest for it. Our guest today is Dr. Georges Benjamin. Let me read his bio quickly, then we'll welcome Dr. Benjamin in and start the conversation. He's been the Executive Director of the American Public Health Association since 2002, where he's leading the association's push to make America the healthiest nation in one generation. Now, prior to APHA, he served as the secretary of the Maryland Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. He also worked previously as the chair of the Department of Community Health and Ambulatory Care of the District of Columbia General Hospital, as well as the District of Columbia Fire Department and Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Now, in addition to his exceptional resume, Dr. Benjamin has received numerous honors and awards. Back in April of 2016, President Obama appointed Benjamin to the National Infrastructure Advisory Council. In 2008, 2014, and 2016, Dr. Benjamin was named one of the top 25 minority executives in healthcare by Modern Healthcare Magazine. In addition to being voted among the 100 uh, most influential people in healthcare from 2007 to 2017. Now, Dr. Benjamin is on the board of multiple uh, nonprofit healthcare and research organizations and a member of numerous academies and associations, and he's spoken at numerous ACHE events. So we are proud to have him here today. We welcome in Dr. Georges Benjamin. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. We get it. We get it. And this was on short notice, so we really appreciate you being here. Um, okay, so we, we you just heard the credentials uh, and the folks out there listening, a very impressive credentials. And I, I just let's start with this uh, as the goal, doctor, uh, of, of the American Public Health Association to, like we said earlier, to make America the healthiest nation in one generation. Can, can you tell us a little more about that quest, especially now? Well, it's very important. You know, as, as a nation, we spend twice as much as the other industrialized nations, um, but we don't get the best outcomes. Uh, we also know that 80% of what actually makes you healthy um, occurs outside the doctor's office. So for an internist and an emergency physician like me, that's a very, very painful uh, revelation to understand, but it's true. Um, so we think that we need to work with our very, very strong health care system um, and our very, very strong public health system um, to try to make sure that we can um, take the dollars that we're spending and get much better value. So it's about better cost, better um, quality, um, and improved lifestyles and longevity. Okay, great, good. And hopefully that, that continues and, and you see the stats and the numbers there to indeed make uh, uh, fulfill that quest, if you will. Okay, like we said, this is a quick turnaround for you because of what we're going through as a country and as a world right now with uh, COVID-19. So, and, and again, we could... We could Take, spend this entire podcast and many more on just that topic. But briefly, if you can, doctor, give us some of the most um, prevalent concerns you and your organization has about COVID-19 right now where we stand. I know it's a fluid situation, but where we are right now. You know, the biggest issue, of course, is that this is a new virus for which our society as a whole uh, has no base immunity. Um, we also don't have... Um, the usual tools that we use on the public health side, we don't have a vaccine. 
on the medical care side. We don't have any kind of therapeutics like an antiviral agent. Um, and we're really relying on old-fashioned, non-pharmacological therapeutics um, interventions, such as social distancing, covering up our nose and mouth when we cough and sneeze, um, you know, to, to, um, to protect us. And it's not something that we've really had to do large scale since the 1918 influenza. So we're very worried about people understanding what the risk is and actually implementing it because we're in a society today where we, you know, we're living on top of one another. And, you know, we haven't had to do this before and we haven't had to do this for a long time. And we have just enormous, enormous amounts of confusion uh, about exactly what's going on today. In, you, in your expertise, though, having said that, doctor, and since we haven't done this, like you just said, as a society since 1918, in the la- just give it in the last week or so, or even the last few days, do you, uh, social distancing, uh, cough, you know, the, the, the hand washing, the hand sanitizing, the coughing in your elbow, not shaking hands, all that, the, like you said, those grassroots things, really the only things right now that we can do consistently. Are, are you pleased with, with the way we are as a, as, as a country trying to come together to do all that? Are, are you pleased with the outcome, at least right now, for that? I, I think we're way behind the eight ball. We're, we're struggling. Um, but, you know, look, I'm, as a, you know, like I said, I'm an ER doc, and, you know, we, we're used to struggling. We understand that the first thing you have to do in a crisis is, is take your own pulse uh, and then make a plan and then implement that plan. And we are playing a bit of catch up, but I'm pretty comfortable that we can, you know, if we work really hard and communicate very effectively, we can we can address this. Um, it's, a, it's a big problem. There's no doubt about it. And if we watch what happened in China um, in South Korea and in Italy, we clearly see the impact that it's had not only on the, the health and well-being of the population, but on their economies. So we have to deal both with the health impact of this and the economic impact. But, you know, as, as the American people usually have the spirit, we clearly have the skills and technology, and we have the communication skills to properly educate our population um, to really build not just social distancing, but a spirit of social cohesion so that we all help one another to get through this. Well said. Well said. Um, social distancing. We've said it three or four times uh, so far in the last five minutes, and it's a phrase that has become um, a very commonplace now uh, in our country. Uh, having said that, um, can you talk about, regarding social distancing, because um, we've talked about health equity on these podcasts before. So while social distancing can can help, you know, right now, definitely help reduce the spread of COVID-19, of this virus, it, it what people don't realize sometimes is it might also create um, other concerns for underserved communities. And if so, what should healthcare leaders be considering for those types of individuals? Well, I think the first thing, of course, is recognizing the impact on their health, particularly the fact that we have a high prevalence of chronic disease uh, in underserved communities, a high percent of the uninsured, um, and um, costs are always an issue. So those things, particularly costs and not having insurance, tends to drive people both underground uh, and receiving care later. Um, they also, as you know, in many communities still have to receive their care in hospital emergency departments, which is the one place we absolutely positively don't want them to go um, unless they're very, very sick. So 
that's something we just need to recognize um, as a baseline that we need to find ways to um, for outlets for those folks to go. We need to go into those communities using our outreach workers, using our the range of communication tools we have to help them both figure out when to go to the doctor and where to go to receive care. Um, we also have issues around immigrations. Um, immigrants, um, tragically, for the last few years, have been stigmatized terribly. Um, and now, of course, Asian immigrants because of where the, the original virus you know, uh, originated. And we have to kind of park that stigmatization, recognize those folks also may feel um, uh, under fire and, and do things that we communicate with them um, to recognize that they may feel threatened uh, as, as, as they go into the healthcare system. That's particularly an issue for people who are English is not a first language, uh, recognizing um, that we need to talk with them in the language that they're, that they're, they're comfortable with. We need to put our written materials uh, in that um, language and recognize that they may not understand because a lot of the stuff that they're hearing on the news is, is not in a language which is their first choice. So I think those are very, very important things we ought to do. And then also recognize that because they don't generally get paid sick leave, that um, coming, you know, Monday, Monday through Friday days is generally not an option for them for health care. So that when they show up at night, weekends and holidays, we have to have venues for them to receive their care um, because literally if they don't work, they don't eat. Yeah. Yeah. So many peripheral uh, concerns that uh, people just maybe don't really realize uh, surrounding all of this. Let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Benjamin, because obviously um, many ACHE members um, are healthcare uh, executives, hospital executives, and uh, so th- they understand because uh, th- they're right there in real time on the front lines. They understand uh, clearly um, uh, the entirety of this of this crisis, uh, but they also have to, you know, there's a they're charged with helping their patients kind of understand the risk. Okay, because the patients don't, uh, most patients don't understand it like hospital executives and people on the front lines do, obviously. So, what advice can you give um, give those folks, um, the, the the healthcare folks, uh, on the best way to communicate um, safe practices to folks in the community? Well, I always encourage people to do effective risk communication. So that means thinking about what you want to say, the message that you want to deliver. Be clear, be truthful, be transparent, and be early. Um, don't wait till you have the crisis to begin communicating with the, the patient population that you have um, to try to make sure they understand um, how you want to provide support and care for them. Uh, also, do that early with your staff so your staff understands what the common message is of the, of the healthcare entity that you're leading, what their, remind them of their mission is to the community, how you're going to deliver that mission, and more importantly, how you're going to have to change that mission um, and the delivery system uh, in light of this new threat, which is very much a threat that not only threatens the patients that we serve, but also threatens the workforce that serves that, that patient population. So we want to make sure that they understand that as providers within our healthcare system, that we want to protect them first um, because we need them to provide care to the people that we're there to serve. Yeah, um, the le- leadership skills, and you just talked about, you know, how how, how folks on, on that end um, 
can get out in front of this and at least in a calm fashion get the communication out there. What because you've you know uh, there's so many ACHE leaders and 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 you're a leader in so many other organizations as well. How can you take those skills and and implement them now to 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 help this situation in any way possible? Is there are there specific skills that you can kind of lean on? You know, I, I, um, I obviously work with lots of amazing healthcare executives, and I've learned so much from watching many of them work when I was in the Army, when I was in, in the government, um, and when I was on a hospital board. And one of the things that I've learned is that this is a team activity. Mm. You have to bring your senior most leadership around you. You need to recognize that you are um, certainly providing the vision and the support and the leadership. But you may not be the, the person really driving the train. If you've got, particularly in this situation, if you've activated your command center, then whoever is running your command center may very well be uh, the person in charge. And you're there as the leader to support them. Um, or if that's the way your system is set up, then you need to provide that leadership um, because that's very important. And you also need to have what I call a team B. That's a group of, of folks that are in your institution who are not directly involved with the event themselves, but who are set aside to just think about what can go wrong and to give you advice on how to get ahead of those things um, when you have these kinds of emergencies. Yeah, so Team B would be like the troubleshooters? They're a bunch of troubleshooters. I mean, yeah. they're, 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 they're hearing, you know, um, the hospital is, is, is overburdened. We already know that we have, you know, we're already at bed capacity all the time. Um, and, and, and thinking through what are some of the scenarios that can go wrong? Um, what does our supply line look like? Um, you know, they're, they're monitoring data for you and they're, they're listening in because there's a, your frontline leaders, your, your you know, chief of medicine, your chief of nursing, your director of your emergency department, most of your department chairs, they're managing the crisis of the day um, each and every day. But someone that's sitting aside, maybe they're deputies, can sit there and just say, okay, now, what do we do if we run out of gloves today? What is our, what is our strategy for that? What do we do if we run out of beds? Um, at what point do we decide not to have elective um, surgeries? At what point do we try to return to normality? Um, how do we link to government? Um, those kinds of things that they're certainly in your emergency operations plan, but they're the parts that go wrong as soon as you turn that plan on. Yeah, team. Uh, it's, it's a great bit of advice to have a team B in place. That that, that that's great, doctor. Um, and one more piece of advice for you, uh, or, or at least from you, that we could uh, we could gather for those though, um, kind of just starting out in their healthcare careers. Okay, they're this is obviously such a huge thing uh, right in the beginning of their careers, this, this COVID-19 crisis. What would you kind of offer to them? How, what they should, when this is all at least in the rearview mirror to a point, what can they take away in your estimation to better prepare and respond for future situations? You know, I always encourage people early in their careers to get a mentor. And um, I would touch base with my mentor right now and then plan to get together, together with my mentor after this event occurs and sit down with them and learn what went well, what didn't go well, and, you know, what can they do um, as they advance in their career to learn from those um, things that the, your mentor did well and learn from the mistakes they made 
every one of us are going to make mistakes because that's what emergencies are all about. And but we can learn and we can pass those learnings on to the new generation uh, because they're the ones that are going to have to do this. And I hope what we will allow is for them not to make our mistakes, but give them the opportunity to make new ones and their own mistakes, but hopefully not as many as we made. Well, Dr. Georges Benjamin, such an appropriate guest today uh, on this episode, COVID-19, Applying Leadership in a Crisis. Uh, You certainly laid out uh, um, many uh, tips and pieces of advice that hopefully our listeners can take and and, and run with. Dr. Benjamin, thank you so much. Again, it was on short notice. We really appreciate you being here. I'm glad I could be here. Thank you. You got it. And folks, we'll see you next time on the ACHE Healthcare Executive Podcast. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.